Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for joining us. This is From the Newsroom, the weekly podcast presented by the Holland Sentinel staff. I'm Brian Bernalis, Digital Director at the Sentinel, and I'm joined by Managing Editor, Audra Gamble. Hello. Hi, Audra. You have had uh, uh, an eventful couple days. I have. This is true. (laughs) This was a pretty, um, I guess, high-profile case from October 2017 is when this... So uh, you were in court yesterday and um, uh, uh, Tuesday, Tuesday, yeah, yeah, Tuesday as well. Could you let folks know what the big case uh, that you were covering? Sure, yeah. Um, so this was a homicide that happened in the city of Holland. Um, the the murderer Keith Williams stabbed his girlfriend Crystal Latham um, a minimum of thirty five times with a basically a steak knife from the kitchen. Um, and I was actually at the scene of, of this. We went out and, you know, we heard the call on the police scanner and, um, it was a very hot October day. I remember that. Um, and it's been a really long time going through the court process. I mean, it's, we're coming up on nearly two years, you know, of this going through. So the last two days was, um, what's called a a degree hearing, which is kind of a, um, unique court hearing. It's not a very frequent thing, especially um, in Ottawa County, where uh, Keith Williams pleaded guilty to the murder. I mean, at, at no point did he, you know, try to get around that, but um, he pleaded to open murder. And and the charge of open murder um, generally allows for a jury to decide whether the murder was first degree premeditated or second degree not premeditated. Um, but in this case, he already pleaded guilty, so there was no jury. So this this hearing that we went to the last two days, the judge and the judge alone decided um, which of those two types of murder this was. Um, and it was, you know, there were 17 witnesses that took the stand and there was video and photo. And it kind of felt like a real full trial, except for the fact that I was in the jury box, not a real, not a real right, jury. Right. And. He took the stand as well at one point. He did, yeah. So um, he was the only witness that took the stand for the the defense side. He testified on his own behalf, and he testified for almost three hours. It was quite quite a lengthy line of questioning. That's uh, is that unusual for uh, the defense to take the stand like that? Yes, I. I wouldn't say that it's unheard of, but it is pretty rare. I think mm-hmm. a lot of the times. Um, defense attorneys will kind of hedge their bets that they're fearful their client may say something incriminating yes. on their own behalf. That's a that's a big risk, mm-hmm. frankly. Um, but uh, Keith Williams wanted to take the stand. He he wanted to answer all these questions. There were quite a few questions where, you know, he really stopped and thought about his answer, and he gave some um, some really articulate responses, and you know, used lots of metaphors and. Um, 
it was definitely a, a long time to be up on that stand. Um, but in, in the end, the judge decided that he was in fact guilty of premeditated murder, first degree. So he'll be facing a mandatory sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. Okay. In his defense, uh, he was said that uh, he snapped. Yes. So the judge didn't buy that. Yeah, so so a little bit of the background on the case. I mean, it's, you know, there's quite a bit of history here. Mm-hmm. But um, basically, Keith Williams and, and the victim, Crystal Latham, had a had a very young child together. The, the boy was around um, like seven or eight months when, when the murder happened. And the child was in foster care uh, for a variety of reasons. And Keith Williams was ordered to pay child support. And the morning of the murder, he and and Crystal Latham went to a a friend of the court hearing to determine how much that child support would be. And he felt it was an unfair amount. It was around $460 a month, which he thought was too high. Um, And he and Crystal Latham went back to the, the apartment of a friend that they had in Holland on West 14th Street. And he was making lunch for himself, you know, before he headed to work at a, at a factory and grabbed the knife that he was making lunch with and started stabbing. Okay. Okay. So if you could, uh, please kind of walk me through what each side was arguing, what the prosecutor was arguing, what the defense was arguing. Yeah. I mean, like I said, this was very lengthy. I, yeah. Frankly, yeah, <laughs> haven't been days. in the office for, for the last two yeah. days, right? Um, so, yes, yeah, so it was a full two days of, of testimony. Um, basically, the prosecutor's office um, argued that Keith Williams wanted to kill Crystal Latham for quite a length of time um, and made several statements to relatives and friends kind of along those lines prior to the murder. Um, he and Crystal Latham had been... Um, arguing and not getting along and, you know, being, being a couple and mm. snipping and, and all of that stuff. Um, but there are also some really serious claims that um, Crystal Latham told her mother, who lives in California, um, and the mother was, was in court and testified that her daughter said on multiple occasions that Keith Williams had put his hands on her and had strangled her to the point there were marks on her neck. On Crystal, not On Crystal, not correct, mother. correct. Okay. Um, Crystal also also told her mother that on two occasions prior to the murder that he had held a, a knife to her neck um, and that she was afraid for her life. Uh, there were a couple of people that testified, including Keith Williams' brother from Detroit and uh, a man who was, was kind of a neighbor of, of this friend where the murder scene actually took place, that said on, on a couple of occasions... Um, as far back as like a month and a half before the actual murder that Keith Williams said that he might as well or could or just as well should kill that word for a female dog referring to to Crystal Latham. Um, And he said the morning of the murder when he was talking to um, some friends about the, you know, the child support amount that he um, might as well kill her as in kill Latham and just go back to jail. And he said where he would get three hot meals and a cot instead of, you know, paying the child support amount. Um, So that was the prosecutor's, you know, case. Um, The defense attorney basically said, you know, listen, those statements, 
in retrospect sound really bad, but in those moments where, you know, a guy blowing off steam and, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind of saying nothingness um, and that he truly just snapped because the two had been arguing for so long and Mm. he was making a sandwich to go to work. It's not like he planned on, you know, not going to work because he was on the run or anything like that. And that, he really did just snap and, and grab the knife. But um, Judge John Holsing agreed with the prosecutor's office that this was at least thought of before and, and slightly planned and that, um, you know, Keith Williams deliberated about his basically his options of what to do in, in regard to his girlfriend and the child support situation. And what has uh, what's happened with their son now? Uh, so their son um, has actually been adopted by a Holland area couple. I don't really know. You know, how well he's doing in, in mm-hmm. regard to that. I mean, I'm sure the fact that he was very young when this happened is right. frankly a little bit of a blessing. Um, I I do know that he's he's um, a little over two now. So hopefully, um, you know, that, that situation has kind of settled down for him a little bit. Right. So the next step then uh, is sentencing. Right. Yeah. So frankly the sentencing in this case is just a formality Uh, michigan law is that if you're convicted of first degree premeditated murder that's kind of like the you know the worst of the worst charges here um so the the sentence is mandatory so his mandatory um sentence will be life in prison without the possibility of parole so he'll he'll die in the michigan department of corrections custody basically um, he's 58 now, just as as an FYI. Uh, Crystal Latham was 37. Um, had he been found guilty of second degree, not premeditated murder, he still would have gotten a you know a hefty sentence. I mean, it's still murder um, up to life, but it would have had the possibility of parole. So he you know after serving a number of years would have been eligible for potentially getting out of prison. Right. Uh, and from your time you spent there in court the last two days, sure. Um, I don't know if you could give me your non-journalistic impressions <laughs> of the scene. Um, My non-journalistic impressions. You know what I mean? Hmm. Uh, 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 was the court full? Did you? Oh, was, um, was there a lot of? Uh, um, I know WZZM was there. Sure. Um, I'm not sure about Wood. They, no, yeah, it was just um, just myself and then uh, a reporter from WZZM, Channel right. 13. No, I wouldn't say that the courtroom was full. Um, part of that was that all of the witnesses were um, separated. So they were subpoenaed witnesses right. and then they were sequestered. You know, they were in different rooms so they couldn't hear each other's testimony. Okay. Uh, so that kind of emptied out the courtroom a little bit. Okay. <laughs> um, but there were some, um, I believe they were former co-workers of Keith Williams that were just kind of observing and, you know, supporting him through the process. Um, like I said, his Keith Williams elder brother was there but he was one of the sequestered witnesses so he was only right, there right. you know after he had testified himself um a degree hearing is is pretty rare so kind of throughout the two days different attorneys that work in the county um would kind of filter in and out just to sort of observe because mm-hmm. it is you know a an interesting case and right. you know homicide is always kind of yeah kind of spicy yeah. right yeah. um 
I think it was really interesting um, how in-depth this process was. I wasn't really sure what to expect if it was going to be, you know, just a couple of hours thing or if this was going to be a full-blown trial. Yeah. And it really sided more on the, the edge of full-blown trial. I mean, 17 witnesses is a lot. It is. Um, they also showed very graphic photos from the autopsy um, and video that some Holland police officers had taken of them kind of like walking through the scene right when they got there. Mm. And unfortunately, you know, Miss Latham was there still. Um, So that was kind of surprising how, like how deep into the details they got because the, the guilt portion had already been decided, you know, like that wasn't up for, for debate. Um, but I know that, that judge Holsing is always very meticulous and he wants to go through every detail. He's kind of notorious for, um, taking a minute and going back through, you know, old records of a case and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, watching video of things if there is any, and, and he's pretty thorough in that regard. So, um, I definitely think that they, they left no stone overturned for sure. Yeah. Now the why did Williams agree to the degree hearing instead of just going through standard protocol? That's of- a good question. Yeah. So he was really clear, you know, that he wanted to take responsibility for killing Latham, that he felt terrible for doing so. He said he loved her and misses her. Um, and he he was fighting for that second degree because he truly said that this was not planned. I really did just snap. Um and I think that's why he, he took the stand was he really wanted to tell his side of things. Right. Um, something that's important to note, though, is that he has some memory issues. Um, he was involved in some gang activity in Detroit as a younger gentleman and was shot in the head. And so he okay. still actually has the bullet in his head, apparently. Wow. Um, and so he, <laughs> he talked about how... You know, when when things get really loud or frantic or or whatever, that he hears this kind of like hears and feels this buzzing, yeah, uh, you know, sensation, and and he remembered some things very clearly, and then some things couldn't remember at all. So that was, um, I think, kind of detrimental to his own defense, where he could remember. You know, the gas station that he went to go get beer at after he murdered Latham, but mm-hmm. he couldn't remember the name of the place he worked. And he couldn't remember, um, you know, saying some of these statements that other people testified yeah. to. So there were kind of like odd details that he knew very clearly and then other details that he tried really hard to remember. I mean, you could kind of see him trying to work through it in his mind and he just couldn't come up with them. So that was... Yeah, it was really interesting to kind of see that play out. So you think in his mind he was saying his strategy was if I agree to this degree hearing, they might show some leniency then. Yeah. Do you think that was yeah. going through? Well, really- I, I think he really truly genuinely doesn't think he planned this. Like he, right. he was like, listen, I'm just going to kind of lay everything out here. And um, obviously his hope, you know, was, was for second degree murder, but judge Holsing didn't buy it basically. Yeah. 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 So he'll be sentenced. I mean, I know, like I said, it's kind of a formality, but he'll Mm -hmm. be sentenced on July 22nd. Um, And we have to remember that he's been in the Ottawa County jail since the late evening of October 9th, 2017. So he's, um, been there for quite a length of time yeah so um he'll he'll be there at least through july 
Okay. Any final thoughts? Um, I think that this was kind of a long time coming. I mean, two years is a long time to be working through the, the court system here. Um, it was interesting because I was the reporter on the scene of this originally, um, kind of hearing things from the other end. Because <laughs> um, when you're on the scene, you're just kind of observing and hearing, you know, what the officers are telling you and all right. of that kind of thing. Um, I remember when I was on the scene of this, at one point, the the police officers um, moved their cruisers so they were, like, perpendicular to the street. Like, they kind of created a barricade, um, you know, four or five houses down on either end of, of you mm-hmm. know, the house that, that this happened at. And I remember thinking in the scene, okay, you know, they're, they're going to bring the body out and they don't want, want me to take pictures or, you know, they didn't want me to see something, which fine, whatever. Um, and then an officer came over to me and said, just so you know, we have information that the suspect may be trying to return to the scene. And I was, a little freaked out by that, frankly, wow. <laughs> because yeah. at the time we, you know, we didn't have very much information about what was going on, but we did know he was still armed um, and that he was covered in blood. I do remember we had that information. Wow. And I'm thinking, well, geez, I'm just on the sidewalk with a camera, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, and I, and I was like, well, man, can I, can I like be on the other side of that police <laughs> yeah. cruiser? And they're like, well, you know, we can't let you over there because, you know, the police tape is past it. And I was just like, well, shoot, <laughs> you know, like that's pretty dangerous. And then when I was in court, I heard um, people testify about what those text messages were exactly that Mr. Williams was yeah. sending people saying he was going to come back to the scene. So it was interesting kind wow. of remembering how I felt in that moment of like, yeah. oh, yeah, holy crap. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then hearing kind of the other end of what those communications were that police were were relaying, you know, as wow. they could at the scene. So um, it felt a little full circle in that regard of like, oh, I got a little more answers of, you know, what I remember happening at the scene. But um, yeah, it's definitely been a um, detail oriented case kind of from the beginning. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. Of course. Yeah. Glad to be back in the office oh. today. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I miss you guys. Yeah. Yeah. We're kind of full staff now. Yeah, I know, you're back. Nice. <laughs> So uh, I'd like to thank Audrey Gamble for joining us. I'm Brian Bernalis. We will see you next time on From the Newsroom. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.